0: Hello, and welcome to the five things you know. It's This Week in Social. We bring you the latest and greatest from those apps that you build your social strategies around, or you have no idea what I mean, and you just like to scroll on Twitter. Our dear friend, Amanda, is under the weather, but we have a special guest this week. But first, let me introduce Tommy Boyce to build up some anticipation. Hi, Tommy.
1: How are you doing, Joey?
0: All right, here we go. Back from Matt leave, making her Year-end return to the pod, it's Beth Rolfs. Hello, Beth.
2: Hello. Happy to be back.
0: So glad you're back. Nothing's changed since you left. Okay, everything's
2: changed. (laughs) I'm here for the ride.
0: Anyway, I'm Joey Scarillo. Let's get into it. Here are the five things. First, Tommy uh, has some info on the leaked TikTok documents that reveal data in their algorithm. Then Tommy follows up on last week's story about Twitter's new CEO and how he speaks uh, about the platform's future. Beth tells us about Pinterest, who acquired video editing app Voce. Tommy then updates us on Instagram's updates to adding link sharing for everybody and new parental controls and a few other fun things going on over there. And then Beth will finally tell us how Facebook plans to create and promote podcasts on their platform. I've been excited about this. I'm excited about all these things. Let's jump in. Tommy, talk to us about the leaked documents from TikTok about their algorithm.
1: Yeah, so we've gotten a fresh look into how the clock app has taken over. Leaked documents obtained by the New York Times show our deepest look yet into just how the TikTok algorithm works. In order to meet the platform's main goal of adding daily active users, it optimizes for two closely related metrics, retention and time spent. The app wants to keep you there as long as possible. And in order to keep users coming back, TikTok considers four main objectives, user value, long-term user value, creator value, and platform value. A lot of values. One way this plays out is that the algorithm prioritizes a diversity of content rather than overwhelming users with one single topic that they might love, so they don't get bored of it pretty quickly and leave the app. There's also a rough equation for how videos are scored based on likes, comment, and playtime, and whether or not a video was played. TikTok also considers creation quality, which is judged by publish rate, creator attention, and creator monetization. There isn't much detail on how TikTok judges creator attention and monetization yet, but it seems that whether creators are successful is a real consideration when determining the quality of videos on the For You feed. Now, there's a lot more I could go into. It's a pretty lengthy, dense article, but I will say that this isn't really especially surprising information to me. The app hasn't been entirely opaque about how the algorithm operates and seeing it spelled out that TikTok you know, prioritizes long-term user value and creator quality in order to retain users and keep them on the app isn't like the most shocking, jaw-dropping thing. And this report will probably go a long way to squash beliefs that the app is a national security threat. It seems like a pretty standard algorithm for an app. But the fact that the app explicitly operates to get users hooked on it is something to note. From a brand perspective, to me, that means that we have to work that much harder to make quality content that users will engage with and watch in its entirety in order to be rewarded by the app's algorithm. But there's also a somewhat dark consumer takeaway, too, that I think TikTok's going to have to struggle with while it gains even more power and audience base. The document was actually leaked by an employee who was concerned about the app leading to self-harm of users. In the past, reports have spotted the app presenting user-generated content promoting eating disorders and discussing or showing self-harm. And because the app is so good at keeping users tuned in with content similar to videos they've already watched, the videos that they will stay on the app watching might not be conducive to their mental health. So I, it's not that TikTok is the only app operated to keep users hooked and keep them watching. But I think this will be one of the main problems that TikTok grapples with in its future. And I definitely recommend checking out the article, seeing the equation. There's a lovely little diagram the New York Times posted, which details how the algorithm works in a little, you know, a little flow chart. So I think this is a very exciting moment to get a little sneak peek on how TikTok's taken over the world.
0: Do you guys think that um, it was only a matter of time before this would get leaked? I mean, their algorithm seems to be so secret for so long, right? What do you think, Beth?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's interesting to see that it's doesn't seem that drastically different from a lot of the other social algorithms. Um, the fact that they are focusing heavily on hooking people and keeping them involved and sending them down kind of these same echo chambery rabbit holes is, is something I think any user of the app would say, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, but yeah, I think it, we were going to find this all out eventually. There's no way that the app can be as popular as it is. And it remains totally secret what's going on behind the screen.
0: So it sounds like um as our data expert nothing jumped out to you as surprising or scary here.
2: I mean as the data expert no as a social human I think all social media is a little concerning <laughs> if we're being honest with in terms of mental health but I love that it's that conversation's coming to the forefront and that all these apps are starting to be made aware and we have whistleblowers who are making the public aware of the known impact of these types of algorithms on our mental health.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you sort of touched on this, Tommy, about um documents like this being leaked could be leaked more often, not to play like conspiracy theorists, but is there a world maybe where TikTok actually wanted this information out there to sort of protect them down the road?
1: That's a good question. I'm not quite sure. I mean, the the elite document was verified by a TikTok employee as being legit. And TikTok at this point, it's reached 1 million users. It's going to probably reach 1.5 billion by mid-2022. So it's, it's going to have about a six or so of the world's population. And I think getting this out sooner rather than later will help the app. So maybe maybe so. I feel like it's a little like, deep web, like, ooh, shifty shadows, conspiracy theory. Uh, but I think I think maybe the app is glad that this, that this data on its own isn't very like damning. So the fact that they got it out and isn't as much controversy as, say, like a Francis Hogan Facebook whistleblower scandal in front of Congress, I think they're probably very happy about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we spent, what, a month and a half talking about everything going on over at Facebook. I'm sure TikTok was paying attention. Um, all right, let's jump over to Twitter and talk about the new CEO, Parag Agarwal, and what he sees for the platform's future. Tommy, what's going on over there?
1: Yeah, so Parag, and I'm going to make him a mononym, like Jack, uh, Parag has stepped up and stated that We should expect Twitter to move a lot faster than it has in the past. In his first public appearance as CEO, taking over from Twitter founder Jack Dorsey, Garag says his top priority is improving our execution and streamlining how Twitter operates. And despite being CEO for only nine days, it's only been a week or so, he's made some pretty big changes already to Twitter. He's reorganized the company under the key pillars of consumer, revenue, and core tech, With a GM running each division, Twitter acquired the messaging platform Quill to improve their DMing services. They're reexamining how they handle reported tweets, they've added content warnings. It's all happening. And now I do love my bird app, but I'll be the first to admit that it's had its share of issues since going public. Something that Parag actually mentioned as well. He said that the platform hasn't really met investor expectations and even that the company has been slow to address shifts and user behavior over the years. And I really appreciate his transparency. I think that coming out of the gate and admitting that you fumbled the bag in the past as a company can't be easy. And I'm excited to see what he means by going faster and changing faster. I think Twitter has teed off an exciting place in terms of their adoption of Web3 tendencies, Web3 you know developments, crypto, NFT. And so I think that we're going to see a lot of exciting stuff under Parag's new tenure and I'm excited to see just how fast they can go.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've seen this before from other um, you know, tech leaders about speed. Beth, what what do you think about the new mission over at Twitter?
2: I mean, I think Tommy said it great like when you put it out there that this is what wasn't working, it's like really setting kind of that that line in the sand, stake in the ground, that there's going to be changes. So I would expect us to all see some of those changes come to light. It is interesting that they don't seem like, you know, he didn't roll out a plan. There wasn't like, this is going to change, and that's going to change, and this is going to change. It's just that, that uh, I guess, keeping up with culture, keeping up with their audience's needs um, is top priority. But I think to not, I mean, not to like be a Debbie Downer over here, but that's kind of what every leader would say right now with what's happening in culture. So I'll believe it when I see it, I guess. Wow, what a turn for me on this podcast to come with a negative slant.
0: Hmm. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, so they announced that they bought uh, the messaging app Quill to make DMs better. Tommy, what do you think? Is that an experience on Twitter that needs to be uh, tightened and better?
1: (laughs) I didn't think so, but it sounds like it was. Um, Parag was very excited to talk about um, how he said they lost opportunities in DMing and he sees this new way as a way to kind of grab users. And I think also Twitter's trying to create and maintain a self-sustaining creator economy. And so the way to do that is through DMs. I was reading an article the other day about like crypto thought leaders and how they always just respond to DMs, like even like really high profile, like really people like who own a lot of it will just respond to like a GM uh, direct message in the morning. And I think that Twitter knows that and understands that and wants to make sure that direct messaging is fully ready to go and can actually sustain the kind of, you know, creators they want to bring to the platform.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of acquisitions, Uh, Let's jump over to Pinterest, uh, who acquired the video editing app Voci. Beth, why don't you tell us about it?
2: Yeah, speaking of acquisitions and creator focus, um, so Pinterest acquired Voci, and Voci is a video creation and editing app um, that focuses on, quote, democratizing quality tools for creators. Um, so what that means is, Vochi kind of it lets you remove items from clips. It adds three D effects. It adds other specialized visualized features. Not quite sure what that means, but you know some cool stuff into videos um, to make your clips really stand out in a feed. The app currently has about five hundred thousand people per month using it, but it is generating around four million dollars in annual rev- revenue through. Uh, subscriptions and add-on features. So it sounds like a smart acquisition for Pinterest, but all of this really comes to um, Pinterest's sort of doubling down on their creator suite, trying to uh, make the platform more video forward. Um, I think, you know, the future is video and sound. And so without Pinterest having the same kind of quality and capability for video that other apps do. They're they're probably losing some of those um, that audience that would go for home renovation or, you know, kind of the inspiration that you get on Pinterest to TikTok. So it seems like a smart move. They're investing in the creator community. And I'm excited to see how it actually rolls out. In terms of branding, I think brands have had a real opportunity on Pinterest because usually the quality of uh, a pin on your feed on Pinterest that's branded content tends to stand out because it is so much better. So I think this will pose for us marketers and advertisers, how do we make sure that our content remains quality and stand out if... You know, the creators on this content on this app have these tools to create even better, more visually intriguing content.
0: Were you pinning while you were on MatLeaf?
2: Yeah, actually. I spent so much time on Pinterest on (laughs) MatLeaf.
0: Did you you get to interact or did you see any of these uh, creators or start to follow new uh, folks or pin new things that you hadn't before?
2: Yes. Um, so, you know, I'm part of the like motherhood cult now, so they're not that we're a cult, but the tribe. Um, and so there's all sorts of new women that I've been following. And I did notice that the content on Pinterest is getting, it's a lot less like listicles and, you know, infographics of the past and the future. Uh, of the past, the future is now these, there's videos, it's engaging. Um, and it's a lot more, I think, not long form, but getting closer to longer form.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's really exciting. You know, I personally, I'm not somebody who spends a lot of time on Pinterest. I haven't since the year I got married. Um, but, It is exciting to hear about these new tools and things that are going on. Uh, Tommy, what do you think of all these changes going on over at the pin app?
1: The pin app. um, As someone who doesn't use Pinterest that much either, I'm very excited by this. I mean, we already saw, I think Pinterest was one of the first to announce and roll out the live stream shopping trend that we've seen on literally every single platform so far this year. So I think they, I mean, listen, like, I think it's 470 million people use Pinterest. Um, they have that many unique users to the site. So it's a real like juggernaut for um, just an audience and for content. And I think video, again, is the future, as you said, Beth, so well. And I think that they know where the money is. They know where people are coming from. They know that it's just another way to keep users. Again, we're seeing sites trying to keep users hooked on longer. So that way. There's a loyalty and also there's just Again, time to see more ads that everyone can make um, money off of it. So I think that this is just a really smart move for them. I'm excited to see Pinterest grow and keep making these new changes and new kind of acquisitions.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's jump over to Instagram, Tommy. Tell us about uh, link sharing and parental controls and everything going on over on Instagram.
1: Yeah. So Instagram is doing the absolute most right now. First and possibly the most exciting is that Instagram is bringing back chronological feeds, everyone, Santa or, you know, Adam Misery, whoever decided that we all made the nice list and stated that Instagram is bringing back users seeing posts in chronological order in 2022 is moving away from the current algorithm that is based on user preferences and engagement. Second, the platform also announced that they are expanding the ability to add links and stories to all accounts, not just those with 10,000 followers and over. The platform stated that this decision came from seeing businesses, change makers, and creators over the years share information and resources in a way that inspired and helped their communities. So literally, I myself, someone who does not have 10,000 followers, can post a link in my story with a little sticker, which I think is a really great change for the platform. It was a kind of bizarre artificial barrier to do that, so I'm happy that they're getting rid of it. And finally, um, Instagram has announced a slew of parental controls and new features aimed at helping the mental health of their younger users. These features will allow parents and guardians to see how much time their teenagers spend on Instagram, set time limits, and get notified if their children report someone. Alongside these new controls, Instagram says it's developing an educational hub for parents and guardians to offer them tips and tutorials about children's social media use, and is introducing the take a break feature they announced sometime earlier this year. This opt-in feature, it's opt-in, it's not necessarily, it's not default, prompts users to step away from the app once they've been scrolling for a certain amount of time, like 10, 20, or 30 minutes. Although a series post about it says that these safety measures have been in the works for, quote, a long time, their announcement does come in the wake of a series of pretty damaging relevations about the platform, notably that Instagram was aware that its service can make body image issues worse for its female teenage users, as reported by Facebook whistleblower Francis Hogan. Now, this is a lot of news. It's pretty big stuff. I think the fact that Chronological Feeds is back is something to like literally be like cheer over. Like, thank God they're bringing it back. So, so I'm interested. Uh, what do you guys think of this? What's the most exciting new change and new feature that, uh, what kind of morsel you're picking out from this?
0: Well, I just want to say, because we've got uh, three musical theater fans on here, that the first link that I posted on my story was actually to the New York Times about um, Stephen Sondheim after he passed away, sadly. Um, and I just, you know, I it, I didn't even realize that the tool was available to everybody at that time. And so when I did it, I was like, Hey, this is great. And I, so I think, I think that ability will be really great, especially for, even for us like right being able to share this podcast on our on our stories and other new york times articles and and things like that. So for me I actually think the article link uh, is really cool. What do you think Beth?
2: Oh man, I can I say all of it? I know that's not being very choiceful, but like amen. Thank goodness for chronological feeds coming back. I don't know what took them so long. Happy holidays everyone. Um I think the link feature is very interesting in the sense that a lot of times social media is people's opinions that are backed by an article that they read. And so being able to kind of pair those two things together could also kind of change the game and how we think about getting information on these apps and sharing information. It's like, show me the receipts. Sure, I'll drop a link in. And then I also, I love the take a break feature. I, uh, I've been talking about this actually for years. Like why couldn't this be the case? So there's a part of me that's like, did I make this up? How did they know my mind? Um, but I think it's, I think it's healthy. I think it's, um, a good, probably a little too late reaction to some of the whistleblower stuff, but Let's let's make the apps a better place for everyone to be. So all yes. of
0: it. <laughs> yeah. Let's make the internet better. Um, all right. So let's jump over to Facebook uh, and talk about how they detailed how folks can create and promote podcasts on the platform. Beth, tell us all about it.
2: Joey, I thought of you the minute that I saw this. Um, so Facebook now lets you add your podcast onto the platform and you're able to distribute your episodes to your listeners, your following, and then, um, kind of turn them into the deeper, loyal, more loyal fans through direct connections. Um, and so the idea is that with your podcast being on Facebook, you can now easily reach people, but you can also retain and engage your audience through, um, comments and reactions it seems like you could also kind of be filming a recording live and respond to listeners and have kind of direct conversations with them while recording um but it it really lets you i think kind of build that fan base that a lot of the the current podcast apps um don't have that capability it's it's smart for Facebook. It's kind of like the next step getting into sound Their Meta, I guess is taking over all of it. Um, but I think as advertisers, it also really promotes the role of podcasts for brands. I think it's been, you know, it's been hard for us to pitch to clients how podcasts are, you know, really valuable for the brand, but if it can also be a tool to engage audiences and kind of spark a conversation and a discussion, not just put a message out there. Um, I think there's an interesting pitch there. What do you guys think? What do you think, Joey?
0: Well, I'm so glad you asked. I, I think for um, for a brand and a brand who has a podcast, I think it's a great idea to be on Facebook because it's a great way to engage with fans. It's a way, great way to get feedback. If I'm the a self-producing podcaster making my own show, I don't know if it's the greatest way to um, grow, especially grow your audience. Just right now, knowing that it's only in the U.S., but I'm sure there are plans to keep growing. I'm if if I'm if I'm a personal podcaster, right? If I have my own podcast that is just mine, I'm probably going to be a little bit more wait and see before trying to jump onto a new platform. If tools like Anchor, which is owned by Spotify, which is how we you know put out the show, if they make an easy integration onto Facebook, great. If it's an extra step that I have to do, uh, again, I'm probably going to be a little bit apprehensive to do it. Um, but if I'm a brand and I've got a branded podcast, I think it's a great step. Definitely go out there, and and grow your audience and and get that feedback. You know, that's really what's so important. And I think something that's really been lacking in in the podcast space, right? I mean, at the end of every episode, we always say email us at podcasts at gray.com because that's kind of the best way for us to get feedback. But if we were able to do it right on on Facebook, then then I say why not? Tommy, what do you think?
1: Beth, I think you made a great point in talking about brands adopting podcasting. I noticed that like there's an official succession podcast advertised after every episode, like on HBO max. And I was like, Oh, that's a great tie in to keep users just engaged in. Like, I mean, I think about succession all day, every day, basically, but now there's a podcast I can go to where they explain it for me. And it's just another way to get, you know, audiences hooked for an hour and keep the experience going. So I think, I mean, we're seeing this adoption of so many different techniques to keep, Brands. It's not even omni channel. It's just kind of omnipresent in people's lives. So I think that Facebook, you know, this social media giant that's on everyone's phones, it's what grandma uses. It's what, you know, it's just, it's Facebook. Well, now it's Meta, but it's Facebook. I think this adoption is just another way to get brands at the forefront of people's, like literally in their head, in their ears. And so I think that, Joey, that's a great point. I think as an independent podcaster, it's not the most exciting thing. But I think for brands who are already so closely tied, the platform. This is a really great and organic next step to just, again, making a relationship with your consumers.
0: Yeah. So we should work on getting this podcast on Facebook. I wish that there was a desktop version. I was searching. I only have Facebook on my desktop. Uh, I don't use it on my phone. So uh, when I read that, you can't get it on the desktop version. At this point, I was a little sad, but I'm sure, again, that day will come. All right. Well, friends, this day has come and now it is time to end the podcast. Quick program note. Uh, next week will be our last episode of 2021. It's going to be hopefully another party pod. If you don't already, be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify. And like I've said before, someday Facebook. Send those questions, comments, concerns, points of interest or complaints over to podcast at gray.com. I want to thank Beth for joining us again and Tommy for being here as always. And of course, thanks to uh, Danielle and Guy behind the scenes. And I want to thank you, the listener. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.